a Highline podcast. Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Greetings to the other members of the triumvirate of Ravel. <laughs> Shout out to our episode with Jeff. Heck yeah, dude. That so was awesome. Good. Um, before we get started today, what are you two drinking? It is raining like cats and dogs here. It's 65 degrees. It is the best autumn day ever. Um, so I made myself a little hot chocolate um, here at the church, and I found some vanilla flavoring, which I don't know why we have it. We don't ever use it, so I used never it. Question. Hot, never question. Never question when you find it. a mystery flavor. Exactly. It, so I used it, and it was it's delightful. Every church has at least tried a coffee shop, so that is clearly why you have probably that Tor- Toritos brand vanilla yeah. syrup. Huh. Is that the I'm name? Hope- I don't know. Sounds close enough. No, that's not it. What is it? Uh, Tarani. Thank you. <laughs> you. You smushed together Tarani and Doritos. <laughs> Here's our Cool Ranch Doritos Locos Latte. Um, <laughs> God. That's good. That is, I'm not drinking something nearly that disgusting. I'm actually on the much further end of the delicious scale. I am... <laughs> Once again, enjoying from Finley Brewing Company in Ohio, the Subtropic Brew IPA. I love it. Uh, prior to us starting recording, I was drinking three bevies, uh, but then we were just chit-chatting before we started the record button, so I finished two a, of them. At a business meeting, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now I'm only drinking a singular because I have one of them and water, so this one drink, Emily. I have... Uh, another cup of delicious chicken broth that I had left over because today is also feeling very autumnal and I'm still feeling a wee bit throaty. So delicious broth it is. What an adjective. Yum, yum. We need adjectives like that, I think. It's a very distinct feeling. All we have is language to describe our experience. What is a podcast but saying words? A podcast by any other name would sound. <laughs> okay, anyway, um, banter... <laughs> Banter is over. We are now we are now officially entering the, the very serious I need a gavel. discussion portion. Yes, gavel time. I don't know how to make a gavel sound. Uh, <laughs> just a reminder that to anyone listening who's new, Emily and Stephen have no idea what I'm about to spring on them. No. And so I'm very surprised that we have not approached this topic before. And I almost, it was very difficult in our episode, our episode with Jeff's question. It was very hard for me to not stray down this road. So. Here we are straying down it. Wait, real quick. We should put it on we should put it on our merch store and call it the Ravel Cavel. <gasps> oh, that's funny. <laughs> yes. 
I'm going to promote it since I feel like I would be the one to use it the most out of all three of us. That actually seems fair. Can we actually, wait, no, for real though, can we make like a Ravel Heresy stamp? Sure. Oh, that would be fun. Let's add that to the notes. (laughs) (laughs) Always develop your business, friends. We are small business owners. We pay our taxes. And we make ravel gavels and heresy stamps. Or maybe, or maybe even one that says, like, this is heresy and I approve of it or something. <laughs> okay, focus. Okay, anyway, Wait, anyway. It's an, of, it's an I voted sticker, but it says I heretic. That's funny. That's not as funny, I don't think. I Sorry. heresy. <laughs> I heresied. You focus. Okay. Sorry. We, we, not, we have to get to the serious, the seriousness of this. We're serious podcast. Okay, serious face. I want to ask you guys, who is a Christian? Who? It me. Who is a Christian? Yeah. Who is actually a Christian? Like, you're not, are you asking in the sense of, are we identifying specific people? Are you describing, like, who? I guess describing. I mean, we could go through every single person in the world, but (laughs) I've been thinking about this for a bit. And, like, I also kind of want to get at, like, what is or is not the importance of labeling one's religious identity. Wow. Because, like, me, myself, I obviously feel like I'm living in a gray area. Like, I don't feel like there is proper language to describe my religious identity. Okay. And I think that a lot of Christians are in disagreement about who is or is not a Christian. And a lot of them also act like there's a very linear definition Mm. of Christian. Okay. Okay. That's kind of where I'm coming from. I see where you're going. So I'm going to poke a little fun at Stephen because I love him dearly. For those of you who are listening for the first time. What's happening? Um, Stephen and I went to school together. And for the longest time, Stephen <laughs> would say that I was not a Christian. Yeah. And he's had a change of heart. And I, I, I have to bring that up, though, Stephen. Again, I love you. I, um, but I have, to, I have to bring it up, though, because Josh brings up a great point where denomination differences aside, right? It can be easy to identify people as Christian or not Christian because of their denominations or particular beliefs. So I guess to answer your question of who is a Christian, I don't know, question mark? Because You heard it here first. A pastor doesn't know. Because how are we defining Christian? Like, we need to exactly. have an understanding of what that word means. Like, I don't know. Am I a Christian? So that's why it was hard for me to not bring this up in the last episode, because we were talking so much about creeds and, like, how much... Christians love to center around creeds or even like early church ideas, but like people came before that who were not on board with those ideas. So what were they? Do we like broad paintbrush over them and say like, well, they just weren't Christians because they don't match our current granular definition of what it means to be a Christian. Steven, I'm curious what made you change your mind on whether Emily was a Christian. (laughs) Oh, wow. Or if there's even anything you can point to. Um, I think for me, when I was first uh, led astray by the idea that she wasn't, I think it was because she wasn't able to check the specific belief boxes that I claimed to check myself. I grew up with a paradigm of there are four fundamental pillars of Christianity being inerrancy, anthropology, Christology, and Trinity. And because I understood that the Methodists can sometimes be squishy or at least I was taught that they could be squishy with uh Christology and some some of them might even deny like the divinity of Jesus sometimes 
And especially inerrancy being something that doesn't seem to matter to those progressives over there. Uh, For me, when inerrancy mattered to me, if we couldn't even agree on how we should be reading this Bible, then we must be fundamentally opposed. Mm -hmm. And because Emily would not join me in in an errant reading of the God-breathed scriptures, that's where I was. Mm-hmm. I think when I began raveling myself, deconstructing myself, it was, um, it, it really is crazy to me that somehow the theologies that I latched onto that kicked off my raveling journey were all about hell. Because to me, hell mattered in two very fundamental ways as a young Christian. And it was, I definitely don't want to go there. And I definitely want to make sure other people don't go there. Which is valiant. I'll give you credit. I do think it is a valiant mm-hmm. mindset that a lot of people have with it. Mm-hmm. But when I was convinced by people who I found to be incredibly gentle and incredibly kind and loving and willing to listen to me and my objections and explore different ideas that could come out of the same Bible that I was reading, but I thought the only way to read the Bible was with one foregone conclusion which it turns out those theologies are more often than not mapped on top of the Bible and not read out of the Bible. Um, That especially being eternal conscious torment. Once I lost hell as a concept of like, not only am I not afraid of hell for myself, I'm also not afraid of it for anyone else. And whatever I think the, like the purification process of what our afterlife could look like, I think we all end up embraced by the cosmic love of Christ. And once I lost that, to me, that equalized so many things about not only other Christian denominations, at which point I was like, oh, maybe Methodists actually do have something to teach me, but also maybe Muslims have something to teach me and Hindus and Buddhists and Jewish folks, you know? I like that you already brought up universalism, which I'm not surprised by. Classic Um, Stephen on the bingo card. Classic Stephen. Um, Because I was just listening to an episode of this podcast I found recently. It's called Counter Apologetics. It's by this guy who... Ooh, fun. I'm, I'm new to it, so I haven't listened to much, but um, he was definitely raised in uh, a type of Christianity that was very opposed to some other alternative interpretations that are seen as outside the evangelical sphere, like universalism or even annihilationism. And so I was listening to this conversation. Um, he fully identifies as like a deconverted atheist person. And he was having a conversation with someone who is a Christian and it was a great discussion, but they brought up universalism and he admitted, he was like, if universalism is true, like if I, if I find that to be a rational interpretation of Christianity, it might turn me Christian again, and which I thought was extremely fascinating. Mm-hmm. But one of the things it, all of that makes me think of still is like, there are people who would like tell me and you, Stephen, we are not Christians because we don't uphold a, B, or C, mm-hmm. even if we like center around mm-hmm. the person of Jesus, right? Arguably, so, and which is that's hard to deal with. Yeah, Emily, you please go. I was, you know, me in words, right? So, if we were to go what? to the no. Merriam-Webster dictionary, a Christian is one who professes belief in the teachings of Jesus Christ, which is very different from what we talked about last episode. Yes. And also very different from confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of your heart and paid for your sins. Mm-hmm. But also yeah. the people who are convinced of that wouldn't say that 
Merriam-Webster's dictionary is the definitive <laughs> definition either. That is true. Well, one of the things I brought up on this episode, they like brought it back to C.S. Lewis and like some of his ideas about like inclusivism and how they're even in the Bible, there does seem to be this suggestion of some people think they are Christians and Christ followers, and in fact, they are not. And other people do not think that they are, and in fact, are. Mm-hmm. And I think that's super fascinating. I, I absolutely think it does go back to someone like living out in practice the message of Jesus. But like, I can also recognize, like, kind of going back to last episode, I can also recognize the difficulty in like not unifying under one belief statement. Why do you think that some self-professing Christians and some non-self-professing and yet could possibly be called Christian by that inclusivist language, why do you think that God is love is not good enough? Ooh. Of like a reading from 1 John being God is love, therefore, where we find love, we find God. Yeah, and even like verses in, I think it's James where he's talking about like true religion is the love of the orphan and the widow. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus like also saying that the, the message of the law is summed up in love. Yeah. yeah. I think as a people, as creatures of habit and needing structure and order, that is a label that is not sufficient enough. Like we, I love that idea mm. and I want it to be enough. I do deeply in my heart. But I also know human nature in me is saying, like, I need something a little more to sink my teeth into so I can either A, defend myself or B, trick myself into believing in this thing. And do you think think that's because we need boundaries to be within our horizon of sight to make us feel safe? Possibly. Yeah. Because like I think of, you know, science talks about this universe that we find ourselves in is still expanding. Therefore, what we know of is getting bigger. Infinity is getting bigger and more infinite somehow. And that gives a lot of people some existential dread about what's happening in our universe. But it makes us feel safe to be able to look up and be like, okay, there's an atmosphere that actually keeps all this buttoned up a little bit. But in the grand reality, that is such a thin skin of atmosphere on this planet we find ourselves on. But like, if we're able to look for boundaries closer to us, that makes us feel more safe and makes us feel like we are thereby protected by the people who f- find themselves within that same boundary. So like mm-hmm. if, if we need to, I, I just think like visions of like globalism or universalism for that matter can be too much of a cognitive load for some people, if that makes sense. And I don't want that to make, it sound like I think I'm more enlightened because I find universalism compelling and actually attractive, but I want to recognize the fact that like when we, I mean, like even, even take the example of like, look at the news. We now know of wars and rumors of wars going on all across the globe. And that can make me a resident of Billings, Montana stressed out, even though none of those are happening close to me, but because I know of what's going on, and because that boundary has been drawn so far and that the internet gives me access to everything that is chosen to be reported on in the world, like the fact that Vladimir Putin wants to invade Ukraine stresses me out, even though if I didn't have that access to the same information, I would feel like the world was a completely different place because my 
event horizon is so much closer and that makes me feel safer. Yeah, I really like that point. Like, I think that it is historically more obvious now than ever that Christians do disagree and can disagree. Yeah, I think that like a lot of the the tendency, from my knowledge, I think the tendency historically has just been to decry someone with an ad hominem saying you're not a Christian, and it's easy. Like I, I really get it. Like we were just talking about our Twitter spats earlier, Stephen, and like mm-hmm. like how easy it is on the internet, especially to just like attack <laughs> what's in someone's bio, like <laughs> either direction. Like it's so easy to just like yeah. want to discredit someone, and like I feel like especially the last couple years as I've found my personal faith and beliefs shifting and raveling, I keep coming back to like, I am, I refuse to like deny that someone else is a Christian or even like imply that they're not trying to follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even if you think their beliefs are misguided. Absolutely. Even if I think that their theology is absolutely harmful and misguided. That's so hard to handle like that tension. It's so hard because you know, like I, I come from an evangelical tradition and only recently have I actually become comfortable in almost claiming evangelicalism as a label of my own, kind of in a subversive way of like, to me, because I was raised inside that tradition, I want, I hope I can gently critique evangelicalism without saying just like, fuck them. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to be guilty of the exact same thing that I find frustrating about them by writing them off as non-Christians, because I'm convinced that Christians ought to behave differently. But I was there, you know, like I, I mm-hmm. not only can empathize or sympathize in a way of like, I can imagine believing that God gives us permission to actually, you know, like just war theory, like not only can I sympathize and recognize that some people do believe that just war exists, I used to believe that. And I believed that I was following Jesus Christ to the best of my abilities and knowledge. So holding that tension is so hard because it's like the the temptation to just cut someone off and be like, oh, well, you're not a Christian because you don't agree with my pacifism and nonviolence. It's like, uh, that, that see, makes, see, that's that makes why- me guilty of the same thing. <laughs> I think that I'm like tempted to say anyone who says they're a Christian is a Christian. Mm. Especially because it like gives the, I know, I think that would be controversial to a lot of people, but I think that what it does is it centers Jesus on the conversation. Like if, if you say you're a follower of Christ, I'm going to take you at your word mm-hmm. and I therefore get to compare you to Christ. Ooh. Like that gets to be the center point rather than Love that rather than defining it in terms of belief statements or creeds or denominational lines. Yeah. There's a part of me that like, I haven't had this happen yet, but uh, TBH, I'm just asking for it by like throwing out my public (laughs) opinions about theology on the internet. And I'm sure people I know think this, that I'm not a Christian. But like, if someone said that to me, I would argue with them. I would like argue with them about like, it, it doesn't matter that I don't accept A, B, and C. It sucks that that's your only definition of what it means to follow Jesus, because I see it as so much more. I think that I'm arguably a person who is following Jesus, even though like I can admit that I am diverting away from some of these evangelical ideas, for lack of a better term, and like just like different doctrines, and, and I'm open to the idea of my beliefs being wrong at all. Well, and I think the problem lies when we tie the label to the institution. Like Ooh. that, I think, is where the struggle is, is 
so much of the identity of a Christian falls under, do I attend a church? Do I read the creeds? Do I read the Bible? And it almost seems like at the bottom of the list is, do I adhere to the teachings of Jesus? And so I think if we were to put the parameter of, if you adhere to the teachings of Jesus, that is how we are going to like determine if you are a Christian or not. Because so often we hear the message from the pulpit being, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And yet people are still going out into the streets and being like, you don't attend church. You need to go to church if you want to be a Christian. It's like, people, <laughs> you're not listening. <laughs> like, <laughs> listen. <laughs> so I wonder what would happen if we got rid of the label entirely? Oh, how how would that happen? Like, how would... I don't know. I, I don't know. Is that kind of what you're asking? Yeah. I think that that is what a lot of people have tried to do with calling themselves Jesus followers. Like, I was into mm. that for a while. Were either mm-hmm. of you? No. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, Stephen, like, how would you explain the rationale behind calling yourself a Jesus follower? I wonder if ours would match up. Um, To me, Jesus follower felt like kind of a subversive way of, like, I don't align myself with how Christians are behaving right now, whether that be like, personally, I am not anti-abortion. So when that becomes a Christian platform to be anti-abortion, saying I'm a Christian might signal to someone that I am, that I believe something that I just don't and that, but they're going to make an assumption because of the label that comes with it. Same with honestly alignment to Trump. Like as soon as evangelicalism and Christians on the, the, the right side of the political aisle aligned with Trump. Like it, that felt easier to me say saying I'm a Jesus follower. <laughs> I don't know if I'm a Christian because I don't want you to make assumptions mm. about me on mm. a gut check level. Yeah. hundred percent. It totally, it totally felt like that to me as well. Like trying to get rid of, yeah. Yeah. Trying to like, like avoid as much religious baggage, but I also don't know if it actually does because like you're still like kind of calling yourself a Christian. <laughs> right. Because that, I mean, that's what happened in the seventies when people embraced the term Jesus freak. Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously. There's a lot of great shows out there and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color. Ravel is a founding podcast of the Heinlein Media Network. And here's a word from one of our sister shows, The Whiskey Bench. Welcome to The Whiskey Bench, where we pair cocktails with conversation. 
Whether we're diving deep into a meaty subject like the history of fascism, or why monetary policy drives inflation, or just bringing you the highlights of a crazy news week, we aim to look past the simple answers and discuss the complexity of our wild world. So pull up a chair, pour yourself a drink, and join us on the Whiskey Bench. Listen, we know every church nowadays has its own espresso bar. But that didn't stop us. We've partnered with Good Food Award winner Revel Coffee to present a custom Highline blend. This is not your church's undertrained barista's coffee. No, no, no. It's reliable, delicious, brews well with every home method, and honestly, it just smells great. This isn't your stale, burnt-to-a-crisp grocery store brand dark roast that tastes like it comes from the pits of hell. The Highline blend is properly sourced, roasted to order, and shipped out fresh. Support us by ordering a bag at highline.network shop, or tap the link in the show notes. Okay, so here, here's the thing about this Christian label is, from my understanding, in the early days of the church, first and second century, being called a Christian was intended to be an insult by society at large. Right. <laughs> yeah. And what Christians did was embrace it because they were saying, oh, you're calling us little Christs because we're trying to like emulate the life of Jesus Christ as we both physically encountered him, but also grew in his teaching and grew in like a lot of uh, theologies and dare I call them fan theories sometimes of like, here's what Paul That's thought That's all about. theology is. Here's, thank you. Here's what Paul thought, right? And people were saying like, oh, you're just trying to be a little Christ. And Christians of that day took an insult and flipped it around being like, hell yeah, I'm trying to be a little Christ. Like, yes, thank you for getting it. And I think that's what Jesus freaks were doing in the 70s. I think that's what Jesus followers are sometimes doing in the 10s and 20s right now, which makes me really laugh though, Josh, at the fact that you want to reject my idea for an I heretic sticker, because that is something that I've done is like, Somebody wants to call you a heretic. I think you should kind of embrace that because if if following Christ to the best of my abilities makes me a heretic in your eyes, according to the institution, yeah, I'm a heretic. Mm, yeah, but I'm not, I don't know. I get that, but I also don't think that that means that you're not a Christ follower. Like, I think that that's wrong of someone to like compare their beliefs against yours and say, and come to the conclusion that you're not a Christian because you don't line up with right. these. Uh-huh. Even though I like, can respect that they're trying to draw the line of boundary somewhere. Which is why I think going back to Jeff's topic, it was, inc- it was important that the Nicene creeds focused more on elements of the Trinity and what the foundations of the beliefs are going to be and not so much diving into the teachings of Jesus and right. things like that. Because if we have an understanding of here is what is laid out before us. This is what's going to be universal across <laughs> any any belief that stems from this. May it be Christianity, you know? Yeah. As long as we understand this and this and this, the rest should be creative freedom, which is valid. And so I think if you were to say, I believe in the, the teachings of Jesus and the Trinity makes sense or whatever the case may be, then everything else 
should be up to your discretion and your own unique flavor because okay it's do you it's not <laughs> yeah but but the trinity doesn't make fucking sense <laughs> it doesn't have to make sense josh and like, even in like the original like uh wordings of it i don't know if it's like in the creeds specifically that i'm thinking of about like the um like just like all these fancy words about like the trinity being mystery like even in the creeds it's like we don't understand yeah what's wrong with that no i no i like that i like that oh, part. okay I, I like the appeal so that's what i think that that's what my personal difficulty is is like I want to acknowledge the not knowing of Christianity, like whether mm-hmm. we're talking about the mystery or the cloud of uncertainty or the sin of certainty to quote Pete ends. Sure. Um, shout out. Like, I want to acknowledge the agnosticism, uh, the dialecticalness of faith. Like, I think that faith and doubt are two sides and cannot exist without the other. And like, I want to acknowledge that mm-hmm. for myself and for my own journey. And like the closest I can come to that is saying, I'm a Christianish agnostic and it like kind of gets across the point, but like still sounds weird. Like it doesn't so, sound. Okay. Hold on. Hold it on. It sounds here's, like, hold yeah, on. I don't know. Here's a, here's a question for you, Josh. Why can't you just accept the title of Christian? If you're going on the understanding of mm. what it means to be a Christian. And like you said, it's to live and to adhere by the teachings of Jesus and to, to follow in the ways of Jesus, right? Loving your neighbor and things like that. Why don't you just claim the title as a Christian? I love that question. Why do you have to, why do you need to have that extra additive? You know what bugs me about this? I'm just going to say it. Yeah, just say it. Just say it. Send off, queen. Send it. You're a Christian. You're a Christian, okay? Oh, thank you. We are not orders of coffee. That means a lot. Where we're caramel macchiatos with extra foam, triple shot, hold the fucking whatever you want in there. Like. (laughs) When we make it so individualistic, we're losing that the community mm. and like having a camaraderie and like being united. If we're so caught up on the labels and having the exclusive titles of whatever, Josh, just accept it. You're a Christian. I, I hear you, but I could also come at you and say, why say you're a Methodist? Because of the specific doctrine that I okay. adhere to. Sure. <laughs> It's the doctrine that makes me a Methodist. It's the sure. doctrine. Well, not... isn't it my doctrine that like acknowledges the doubtiness of faith? No, because Methodists doubt too. Okay, fair. Doubt is not exclusive. I think that the, first of all, thank you for your question. Uh, it really means a lot. You are the first person to ask me that ever. Really? I think so. 109 episodes of this podcast and that's <laughs> the first time we ask Josh that question. Oh my God. And secondly, thank you for just like saying that I am a Christian. Like, I, I think that it's re- it, it's really hard. This kind of goes back to our episode we did on imposter syndrome. I think that, like, in mm-hmm. in faith, feeling like it's unraveling and shifting and, like, you're realizing that you're leaving beliefs behind that yeah. traditionally line up with orthodoxy. I think it's really easy to just, like, question your entire identity because, like, we were taught that that's everything. Yeah. And I, tr- I, I accept it as a compliment that you would say that I am like Jesus. So thank you. You're welcome. I, I think that my my I mean your name's my the same, wanting right? to go beyond what sorry I, your name is the same right Yeshua my Joshua. name is the same technically my name is closer to Jesus's than Jesus is yeah. uh huh so no big deal claim it <laughs> I think that my longing to graduate beyond perhaps the identity of Christian is still like a subversiveness like I mm. I recognize the religious baggage that it brings to a lot of people and like that's what 
originally inspired me to also call myself a Jesus follower, not just because other people were doing it, but because I, I really resonated with the idea of trying to dispel the extraness that gets lumped onto other people's experiences and then like projected onto you. Mm-hmm. I think that like, like the desire there for me was like trying to identify myself as simply to like point to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that like in a similar subversive way, like I, on one hand, I'm not convinced I can become not, I'm not convinced, <laughs> I'm not convinced that I can become not Christian because I think that it has like fundamentally shaped who I am and my experience of the world. Um, and then also like I want to be subversive and identify and recognize as a part of my faith that I think it means to doubt, to have faith. So long answer. I want to explore a word. I'm ready. That you mentioned just now, Josh, in your uh, response, and that is graduation. Oh, okay. Do you think that's actually how you feel? As if you are graduating high school and like leaving something behind and entering Ooh. something new or in a like a Richard Rohr type of way of like include and transcend is somehow we're going to include all the baggage that came from high school and take mm. and carry that through. Because for me, I feel like graduation implies that you are leaving something behind and you could probably argue like it's all semantics anyway, right? What do we have but language to describe our experience? But there's something I think special and something compelling to me about the way Richard Rohr says, like we must learn in following Christ to find ways to include and transcend what we're either leaving behind or attempting to graduate from. Like I think recognizing the past and like carrying it with you, but not in like a burdensome way, but in a, like a recognition kind of way. Do you think that would help you? to think of it that way or yeah maybe it is a little semantic-y but i do recognize that both of them feel very growth oriented and like that is my i like that a lot i like that much better to describe my experience than just the negative aspects of it because i really do think it's more than that Mm -hmm. um i I don't think it's just the tearing down of a house of cards like you have to like if you don't also grow from that yeah which is an image that comes from the word deconstruction. Right. And however what someone wants to be semantic about that's not what Derrida meant. Like I don't fucking right. care what Derrida <laughs> meant. We use this word now to mean this. But like even then, <laughs> like it's like that that's where my thought comes from with I don't want to look back necessarily with a sense of superiority either to myself or to other people. Because I think that that can be really dangerous as well. Like I don't want to act like I have everything figured out. But I do think that I have a rounder understanding of things now. And I think that I will continue to grow. Mm-hmm. And like with the label thing, I think it's hard because like when someone is identifying as a Christian and you yourself are like, uh, okay. I like, think really. I, so I, like I that's think what's hard. I think that will come. I feel like that comes with the territory of those of us who self-describe as more or less progressive and that we're in, embracing progress right like yeah and growth. sometimes it can feel like we're we're on the the leading knife's edge of progress or growth or improvement or change or something like that and i think that you can appropriately identify those same kind of impulses in jesus as long as jesus is going to continue to be like our main figurehead for like 
what kind of life we're trying to emulate and whose teachings we're trying to embody. But at the same time, I think Jesus was very good at including the the conservative impulse of like including the tradition of the past. Like I I think arguably Jesus's yeah. favorite prophet was Isaiah, the number of times he oh, quotes him. Hands down. But at the same time, he quotes Isaiah and intentionally omits parts that the Jews of the time were expecting him to keep the verses going. So like he is on the the leading progressive edge, but he's keeping this conservatism about it of saying like I'm including the Jewish tradition. I'm including the Jews. And in fact, I would get, he, he goes so far to say like, it is the Jews, but it's time to make room for the Gentiles guys. Like this is the time. And I think that's, what's fun about like trying to follow in that tradition is like, I, you know, like I think even in our current, uh, teaser or trailer that we have up on Instagram, I think I call myself a post-Christian. Mm-hmm. I don't call myself a post-Christian anymore. I call myself a Christian. And in fact, I'm ready. Right. I'm kind of ready to embrace <laughs> the word evangelical too, because that is the tradition I came from. Whoa. And like interesting. But like it's it's the inclusion version of the of the subversive, like totally. Yeah, I'm evangelical, but not like that kind of thing. Like I, I want to recognize yeah. my roots. Yeah, it's not tied to the institution. Mm-hmm. Which, okay, Emily, let's come back to that because yeah, I liked that point. I think that is an incredibly good point. I also think it's interesting that it's coming from you, who is the figurehead of an institution in a city yeah. of the <laughs> of the Methodist church. Like you're the yeah. one making that point, not me and Josh who hasn't <laughs> haven't been to church in two years. Right. <laughs> so how do you balance then your identity as a pastor, as the leader of an arm of that institution, and yet you still want to say that you you wish that none of it was attached to an institution? Yeah, I do. What is because I think it's cre- I think while I love the United Methodist Church deeply and I love the work that it does for people, church causes harm. <laughs> and like the Methodist Church is not immune to that, unfortunately. And as a leader in that denomination where fortunately I am a part of a congregation that has not caused as much harm as others, Again, we're not immune to it. Um, <laughs> I also see the faults that my church has. And I think mm. if we were to let go of being tied to an institution, like still being a part of, but not being tied to, like that is not, that shouldn't be our identifier. Like when I go somewhere and they ask, oh, like, do you attend a church? And if I were just to say, oh, yeah, I attend the Methodist church rather than saying, I am a Methodist. Like, I should be comfortable with the idea of I'm a Christian. Mm. I, t- I attend a Methodist church. I am the pastor of a Methodist church, but I am first and foremost a Christian. I am not a Methodist first. I am a Christian first. Mm. Being a Methodist does not make or break me. And in fact, <clears throat> growing up, I even had chances to explore different denominations and even questioned if I was a Christian. I doubted. And, you know, after my friend passed away, I really was questioning the holy concept of even God being present in the world and did Mm. religion and faith have any place in the world. Mm. So yes, like as a Methodist pastor, I am comfortable with saying we can get rid of the institutions and the labels of whatever those are, as long as we're still loving and preaching and teaching and sharing and housing and feeding and tending to the needs of the poor and the oppressed, because 
if I was to get rid of the words United Methodist Church on my building and just have the word church, I would be completely fine with that. Okay, there's obviously a lot of places we could go here, but just to clarify, <laughs> what I think I hear you saying is that you agree with my distillation that it is the individual who determines whether they are a Christian and not the church. Yes. Being Christian. Okay. Would you say that your viewpoint agrees with the possibility of inclusion, like kind of like what C.S. Lewis is getting at in the last battle of like someone not knowing they're following Jesus? Or following yes. the true God or however you want to yes, put that? Yes, question mark. I think I, I think I would need to, I personally would need to wrestle with that more. It's sure. not that I, it's not that I don't agree. It's just, I've never, mm. I myself have never really thought of that. And so I totally. would want to give myself space to, to think on that. But I would say initially, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that answer. Side note, the last battle bothers me a lot because I do like the inclusion of that guy. I don't like that C.S. Lewis does not spend any time trying to back up the fact that Susan somehow is excluded. Yeah. That is a weird one. Uh, Drives me nuts, to be honest. I'm like, I do not know how you square these two because you're basically saying two oppositional things with two characters. I think that's the reality of human nature. Mm. Of like, he's confused about why he did that? Or like, he's not able to square that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because no matter how no matter how hard we try to be inclusionary and welcoming, like there's there is going to be people who are excluded. Mm-hmm. I don't we we have never achieved that ever in and that's, human that's, history. But, <laughs> but you're saying that's by our nature and not by God's. Yeah, that's our that's our doing. Okay. That seems fair. And trust me, I am someone who loves to see the world with rose-colored lenses. <laughs> I I would love for everyone to just be able to hold hands and sing kumbaya and have world peace and all that stuff. I I want that more than anything. Like I want my daughter to grow up in a world where I don't have to worry about teaching her how to be welcoming. <laughs> like I don't I don't, I shouldn't have to bring my daughter up in a world where she is going to have to be careful about how she dresses and how she speaks and how she has her hair done and how she cheers for a specific sports team because she's going to be excluded whether it's based on what she wears, what she believes, what team she cheers for, what her favorite food is. Like that's just humans are going to find things to separate and to identify. This is how you're different than me. This is how I'm going to survive. This is how you're not going to survive. I don't know if I just I don't know if we would ever come to a place where everyone would be Mm. included and inclusive and welcomed. Yeah. So bringing it back around to the idea of do you think that's the way it is because we simply have not evolved to embrace that level of consciousness yet of like it feels safer to see the boundaries closer to me. Like I feel a lot better being in a fenced yard if I can see the fence, but if I can't see the fence, it might as well not be there to my sense of security and safety from say like a wolf getting in Mm -hmm. or whatever. I think the unknown scares us. Yeah. And I think Mm -hmm. that goes back to Josh's statement he made towards the beginning about the Trinity and the, the mystery and the things that are unknown in, in, God and in faith and in belief. Hmm. We wrestle with that. We need to have concrete. We need to have something tangible. The more mysterious or ineffable our 
faith is, the harder it is. It it's it's both harder for us to maintain a boundary on it, and I think that makes us feel more comfortable mm-hmm. saying more people are Christians than not, or like you yeah. know, like that makes us feel like we're ready to include, but that also makes us feel like a threat to people who say like, "What are you talking about? The fence is right there." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is well, and like, which is why when I was younger and people would ask me, "Are you a Christian?" and I would say yes. And they would ask, well, what church do you attend? Sometimes I wouldn't answer. I would say, no, I'm a Christian. But no, like, where do you go to church? Well, I'm a Christian. That's all you need to know. But no, like, what denomination are you part of? It's the unknown. It's are they really a Christian? Because I don't know if they go to church. I need to know if they are a part of this particular body to know if they're a Christian instead of just taking it on my account that I tell you I'm a Christian. (laughs) To some degree... I mean, again, I used to inhabit that frame of mind. And to me, where I feel like I'm at now is like, it's, it's the difference of like, I'm a nominal Kansas City Chiefs fan. I've never been to the stadium that the Kansas City Chiefs call their home stadium. And like, I guess some people would say like, then you're not a true fan if you haven't like made the pilgrimage or whatever. But like, I feel like we're trying to do the same with church. But that's just a straw man. I know. Oh yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I know. But like, I used to think that about Christians who wouldn't go to church. Like that was my judgment of like the Christers, right? Of like, Uh well, you're not here every week, so you must not be like fully on board or whatever. Even though now, uh, two years, I've been to church once in the last month and that broke a streak of more than two years of not stepping, not darkening the threshold of a church building <laughs> with my shadow, but not once for the last two years have I not considered myself a Christian. I really like that you brought up the nominal label. Like I think a lot of people <laughs> love to throw around nominal Christians, but like actually I think that's accurate. Like I think if someone names themselves as a Christian, therefore they are. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't think it's church attendance. I don't think it's grab basket belief ideology. I don't uh-huh. think you have to like buy into everything all at once. I think that there's obviously a spectrum. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the next step too of like the the only place that the Jews really felt an attachment to to worship God was the temple. And Jesus was there to say like it's not about the temple. In fact, like at the crucifixion we're going to have this idea of the veil tearing itself from top to bottom and opening up the holies of holies to be accessible by anyone. And if we're willing to accept (laughs) that idea of like, that's what the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ did for the Jews and like liberating Christ from the temple and like letting that go across the world. Now we're going to include and transcend the Gentiles. And now there is no Jew or Gentile. There is no slave or free. There is no female or male. We are all one under the headship of Christ. Like, why don't we take that as seriously to say like, well, if the Jews don't need the temple to worship, do me as does me as an American Christian really need to go to church to worship? Like God is not found in the sanctuary. God is found everywhere. Yep. <laughs> and if, are we going to take that seriously or not? Because if you're just going to draw the line between like you haven't shown up to church in a while again, though, that's just like we we're trying to define ourselves inside of a community. And if we can say the community ends where the, the walls of this building begins that's a lot easier that makes us feel a lot safer that's so hard emily i would i completely agree with you steven uh emily i would be really curious maybe to wrap up here with any advice you have 
for experiencing being on the other end of someone telling you you're not a Christian. Oh, like someone because someone I think, telling I me. I think maybe you're the only one. Yeah, I think maybe you're the only one. Ironically, <laughs> you're maybe the only one here who's actually had that personally happen, even mm-hmm. if the offender was in this room as well. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. <laughs> Listen, um, I have I have since metanoid. I've repented. You have. Yes. Yeah, I completely agree. Um much like back then and now Stevens labeling or lack thereof of who I am didn't have any weight on me because I don't live my life by other people's labels. I never have. Hey. Boom. And, Roasted. <laughs> um if anything, like that just pushed me into further exploration of if I'm not a Christian to him, then what am I? So it forced me to really examine what I believe and what do I not believe? What are the things that I am holding on to that he's not seeing as Christian? Like, does it really have value and weight? And like, why not? Um, and so I would say for people who are told you're not a Christian, I think that's up for you to decide. And no one else should be putting that label on you or forcing a label on you. Because if we live by other people's standards and by other people's faith, we are missing out on the opportunity to create a faith for ourselves and to live a life that we want. So if you see yourself as a Christian, great. If you don't see yourself as a Christian, Great. I I cannot tell you what to call yourself, what to live by. I can only say, good for you. Let's walk this journey together of life, whatever that looks like. And just know that you're loved, regardless of what you call yourself. Media Network, artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.